Welcome to Episode 3, Season 2 of the Main Question Podcast. I'm Ron Lisnett. If you think about the dominant features that define the state of Maine, certainly the ocean and the coastline come to mind. But away from the water, it's Maine's forests that play a central role in defining Maine. From its geography to the economy to just about any aspect you can think of that makes up Maine's way of life. Maine continues to be the most heavily forested state in the country. Forests dominated the economy even before Maine became a state some 200 years ago. But the way forestry is practiced and the products that come out of the woods has started to change drastically. And that trend will ramp up even more in the future. Maine's trees will continue to produce lumber and paper, but that is just the beginning of what could become a revolution that will create new jobs and products. Medicines, fuels, plastics, food, 3D printed houses and other structures are now being made from trees. Beyond economics, the role of Maine's forests in climate change and even people's mental well-being and sense of self are being recognized. We talked about this and more with Steve Shaler, director of UMaine School of Forest Resources and associate director of the Advanced Structures and Composites Center, who helps us contemplate the main question for this episode. What does the future hold for Maine's forests? Maine's forest, obviously a defining feature of the state of Maine. Big picture, how would you describe Maine's forest today compared to, pick a number, 50, 100 years ago? What, what are the differences we've seen? The forests are changing. You know, you, you pick any one point in time, and it's going to be one way, and you pick another point in time. So by nature, forests are alive. Just like any living thing, it, it changes naturally over time. One of the big changes, I think, if you look from 50 years ago, is the increased number of roads that are out in the forest. I mean, the last river drive, which seems archaic and ancient, right, was in the 1970s down to Kennebec. And, and until you had roads in there, all the wood would come down via the rivers. And so that change in now having a road system through the forest instead of bringing everything down by river uh, has opened up I think the forest opened up the access and allowed more recreation opportunities for people and has, has changed. Maine's uh, been known as the most forested state in the country traditionally. Where are we now? Do we have more trees now, uh, and are we still the most forested state in the country? The state of Maine is still the most heavily forested state by terms of percentage of land that is forest. We're at about 89%, and that's more than any other of the 50 states. And the fact that the forests uh, are part of the culture of the people of the state, that the and not and culture in the broadest sense, the economic culture, the uh, recreational culture. Uh, you come here and and uh, you're used to seeing a log truck going by, and that doesn't happen in in other places nearly as much. So that that embedded. I I'm I'm from away. I've only been here 27 years, and and coming to the state. You can feel the difference of that connection of the people to the forest, what's out there, why it's important, and a sense of ownership, even though, and that's really one of the unique things, is the majority of the forest land in this state is privately owned, as opposed to, say, out west, where it's a lot of it is publicly owned. And yet, even with all that private ownership, we're still the most heavily forested state. Let's talk about the practice of forestry today. You see this, obviously in your role with the School of Forest Resources, but you also uh, deal with industry in and, and, and all kinds of ways. Uh, 
So talk about the technology. We have LIDAR. We should probably explain what that is, what satellites are being used to manage land. Um, are some of these technologies allowing uh, forests to be managed in a different way, in a bigger picture, in, in, a, in a larger way, in a sense? You're absolutely right. The, the technologies that have come to the world of land management, to forestry, have made as big an impact or maybe more than pick another part of your life and what's the impact of the technology. Uh, a lot of times foresters will go out and, and they're using uh, iPads with special software that are connected that have the maps of where they're going rather than the old uh, Delorme Gazetteer or folded up topo maps. So technology has had a huge impact on how things are done and it's really been beneficial for the foresters, for the landowners, for, for the managers because it's letting them get better information ask better questions, and, and solve the, the questions with more certainty in, in a shorter amount of time. So an example of that, you, you brought up the term LIDAR, uh, and basically what that is is you shoot a laser and it hits the ground and part of the laser comes back up to the sensor. And that lets people determine where the water table is. Uh, we've got some outstanding researchers here that are identifying how tall trees are, uh, you can get estimates of the size of trees, the diameter of trees, all from this LIDAR sensor, which might be on a plane, which might be on a, a UAV, which might be on a satellite, and you get different types of, different scales of information. All of that's coming in, this world of big data, artificial intelligence or AI, uh, all of those are taking advantage of this and then boiling it down through some tremendous technology and, and smart, hardworking people so that the forester out in the field is able to use that iPad and, and, and um, see uh, where they're at and, and know how that tree that they're standing is, is related to the next 200, 300,000 acres around them. But most people think about a f that a forester, that the job of a forester is to decide what trees to cut down and they're going to be made into lumber and paper and certainly that's still a staple of uh, you know what what builds our society and what we use every day but can you talk about new developments and products that are coming out of the woods now it's obviously more than lumber and paper yeah the I, let me say about the the role of a forester or a, a land manager is to meet the needs of either the, the landowner and whether that landowner is a, a private company, whether that's a, a, a person, whether that's the state government, whether that's an NGO, whether it's federal land. And, and Native Americans have a long, of course, tradition of land ownership with, with their own objectives on uh, what is done and, and what's the role of the forest to, to help them and, and their relationship with the land. So the one of the things that a forester will do is decide if we need to pull out wood or cut down trees, whether they're big or whether they're small, um, how much, where, uh, but also uh, the, the where question, making sure that you're not near rivers or streams so that the water quality for the brook trout uh, still is maintained. On the landscape, uh, different trees, they might have the same economic value but they could have very different uh, ecological value or different wildlife habitat value uh, 
uh, one acre over because of this is where the deer trail is or this is where uh, nesting and, and, and you want birds to, to go through a certain pathway. It's a broad sense of values and, and needs that go into the decision on how you manage a forest. What do you cut? What do you not cut? What do you leave? When do you do it? And and that that stewardship or that caring for the land is, is a pretty awesome responsibility and a, a big reason um, that foresters love their jobs. But originally you talked about one of your questions was new products coming out and how might that change the way that the, the, the foresters make their decisions to manage the land. And, and a large part of that ties in with, uh, in terms of new products, if you can use a, a different species or if you can use smaller diameter, that gives the, the, the forester the opportunity to flexibility to not just do things one way. So if I can get, if I can use um, a small diameter beach for a, a, a new product uh, that uh, can be turned into uh, nutraceuticals or food additives or uh, insulation. Let's talk about some of those new products. I mean, you, uh, a lot of these uh, you wouldn't think are. Um, you think they'd be coming out of a lab, and, and maybe ultimately they do, but new products coming out of the forest, CLT or cross-laminated timber, nanocellulose, bioplastics, uh, additives for 3D manufacturing, these are all things that are coming from trees, right? That's right. That's right. And the uh, another product which uh, is just coming to commercial use very shortly here in the state is insulation out of wood. Um doesn't seem like much, but that's really important uh, in terms of the energy needs and, and rather than using your pink uh, petroleum-based um, blue board or pink board for insulation on the house, using a wood-based insulation that, that performs better. Uh, the uh, cross-laminated timber, which is taking lumber that we already make in this state and gluing that together so it's uh, plywood on steroids or just big building blocks, and there's tremendous demand for that uh, in the cities uh, of the of the world. Uh, I was speaking yesterday, two days. I was speaking two days ago with an architect from Southern Maine, and they really want to put up some cross-laminated timber buildings. And the supply is sold out. It's it's. He said, if we had access to more, we'd be putting more buildings up right now. And they're looking to maybe have to bring it over from Europe. So there's great expansion in demands. Is there a chance we'll see manufacture of cross-laminated timber here in Maine eventually? There's certainly a chance that we'll have cross-laminated timber production here in the state. Uh, the big markets are, in, you know, the Boston, New York, the softwood lumber that's typically used for these are made here in the state. So it, it, it's kind of a natural to put that together here and, and, um, and, and we're close enough to provide and service that market. So the other uh, product classification, I guess, nanocellulose, you hear this term a lot. What is that and what can it be used? What, what, what can you do with it? Sure. Uh, nanocellulose and, and the folks here at the university are really world leaders in the production uh, and looking at new uses for, for nanocellulose. And when you think of, uh, well, you, you know what a tree is, you know how big a tree is, and you also know what a sheet of paper is. How do you get from a a tree to a sheet of paper. Well, that's what the pulp and paper mills do, where they break down the wood, the tree, to an in, a single fiber that might be uh, a, a tenth of an inch long. 
and that gets made into paper. Well, what nanocellulose is, is taking that fiber and breaking it down just as much as we went from the tree to the fiber, and now you're breaking it down again from the fiber to the nanofiber, which is just a little part of that. Nanocellulose particles are really, really small, goes, goes without saying, but what can you make with them? What, what, what is the potential that is in that little small uh, piece of, of the tree? Yeah, the, the nanocellulose peop, uh, can be used back into paper production. It can be a, uh, a use. It can be made. People are looking at that for uh, replacing uh, petroleum-based adhesives. Uh, so you now have a, a something that can glue things together, if you will, wood gluing wood together uh, that's then 100% recyclable. People are using it in bread. People are using it with plastics. Uh, people are using it in pens, in the ink of a pen, uh, a gel roller pen, because it thickens it up, and then when you start to write with a pen, it, it's what's called sheer thinning. It, it's, it starts to flow real easy, and then when you stop writing, it sets up, and so they're in the ink in a pen. They're in bread in Japan. Um, they're used, the, the nanocellulose really likes water, and so there's actually some um, beauty products, moisturizing products for your skin because it holds all this water. If I had nanocellulose in my hand and it was 3% nanocellulose and 97% water, it would be sort of like a soft silly putty sitting in my hand. Uh, it would be white. It would, you, you can hold it in your hand even though it's 97% water. So it's a moisturizer for skin. Uh, people are looking at it to work for electronic displays. One company is exploring its use for um, drilling muds and fracking. Uh, so the amount of the markets are tremendously broad and represent new uses for wood um, that weren't there before. And one thing we're particularly excited about it at the university is the potential to combine that nanocellulose with plastics that you can make from wood and the uh, activity here in, in 3D printing, which then goes from nanocellulose and, and the pla wood plastics and then print um, whatever type of uh, structure or system you want. Yeah, we saw the 3D printed boat, which uh, was uh, put out last fall, which was uh, uh, drew by quite a bit of attention because now you can print almost, you can print a house, correct? You got a big enough printer, you can do that, or, or uh, uh, put pieces together that are designed special and snapped together, or, you know, yeah, really, sky's the limit, the interest right. in that. Are we going to come to a day when many of the things we make now with petroleum byproducts will be made from trees? My belief is we'll see increased um, use of products that, instead of petroleum, that'll come from plants and uh, around the world. And in this part of the country, the plant that makes the most sense is going to be a tree. There's been a lot of talk about biofuels and replacing, and then replacing ethanol, and then the the food, uh, the, the question of here we're using food uh, to meet for fuels and people are hungry and and that's one of the advantages of of using wood is, although there are people uh, making things now that you can eat from wood and there's work being done here in the university to go into fuels for planes, because. You're never going to—we don't think you're going to replace—be able to fly a plane based on battery power, right? You're going to need liquid fuels. So there's a lot of activity in, in creating fuels for planes 
we may end up with most of our cars being electrified and, and uh, electricity, um, but planes are going to be a different thing. Uh, and then, again, any type of plastic or that whole space of plastics, packaging. A lot of smart people here at the university working on packaging, using nanocellulose and, and pulp uh, to uh, replace that plastic film you use once and you throw in and, and it goes in the landfill. And so uh, not only you're not using the petroleum, you're coming from a renewable source, the forest, that regenerates and takes, CO, takes carbon dioxide out of the air to grow, uh, but it also can be designed so that it breaks down differently. So one major issue that all forests will play is uh, a role in climate change and carbon capturing. What is that role, and how much of a difference could it be made if it's done properly? I know there's uh, you know, talk of trying to be carbon neutral at some point in the future. Forests represent one-third of all the land in the world and 10% uh, of the entire global surface, which is 70% water. So the forests of the world are incredibly important and a big part of of our whole ecology and, and, and society. Um, trees, just in, as they grow, right, they pull carbon dioxide out of the air and they store that carbon as they grow. They put it in their roots. The leaves come off. That creates soil. There's carbon in the soil. Um, so that's a, uh, a very important function. We're very, uh, there was a recent study um, study being conducted here at the university and at the Climate Council meeting in Augusta just two days ago, uh, one of the professors uh, shared results, Adam Dagnow from the school shared results that currently the Maine's forest, the estimates are that it um, stores uh, annually the amount, 60% of the annual uh, CO2 budget of the state and that another 15% is stored in products that you make from the forest. So it's not just the storing carbon in the tree, but when you then harvest the trees and put them into something, you put it into the two by four or your CLT, the new buildings, that's gonna be there for 100 years. And so that carbon has been sequestered and stored. That furniture, that, that wood table uh, used to be a tree, right? And that might have been cut 50 years ago, it's still there. It's not back out in the atmosphere. And then after you've harvested and now you're converting those trees into these products, what it lets you do then when you're management is you can increase how fast the trees grow. So you think about your garden at home. Are you a gardener, Ron? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. And so if you just throw out a bunch of seeds and it just kind of comes up, you might you know, maybe you'll get a tomato here and maybe get a spinach plant over there, but you're going it, to, it's not going to be the most efficient and you're not going to get the most out of it. But if you can carefully get rid of some of the plants, maybe get some spring greens out, but it then opens up as things to grow faster. So you, by managing the forest smarter, you can end up storing more carbon than we currently do even with the same land area. And so is it important to retain as much land as natural forest versus development because of some of the reasons you talked about? I mean, land use, it, right now we're blessed to have all this land that in forest that is storing carbon, that's driving the economy, that's providing for clean water, that's habitat, recreation. We're really blessed with that. If that's then converted to another use, that land is no longer serving those other functions. Um, so if it's now paved under, you get a new road and it's under pavement, 
it's not a good carbon story, uh, and so you need to be smart about that. We have more and more people, and you know there's demands, but um, land use change and taking it out of forest and doing other things has an impact. And because it's all around us, Maine's forests, I mean, could be taken for granted uh, for their benefits. Uh, you know, some of the things you talked about, the, the jobs and the industries and the less tangible things, the wildlife, the recreation, is, is that something that we, we have to guard against because it's just assumed it's there, it's omnipresent, it's, it's everywhere you look? It, it's always, you know, when you're blessed with something, sometimes you can get complacent. Um, there's a lot of people with a lot of passion for the forest uh, in, in this state. Uh, and I, you know, we talked earlier, Ron, about the culture and how connected so many of the people in this state are to the land, which is a really de a defining part of our culture and one of what makes it so, what a great place to live, right? There's always that that chance and, and something to guard against, um, but um, I, I'm optimistic that, the, that the, the forest of this state and the relationship that people have to this forest is, is something that's um, so embedded in our culture, um, so celebrated, so important to everybody. Um, I'm optimistic that we won't lose that connection. And it sure would be a shame and it'd be a concern if it did happen. We talked about using the forest for, for products, but also the other things uh, for recreation and, and, and for um, uh, water. Sometimes we call that the four W's. So the four W's are wood from the forest, water from the forest, wildlife in the forest, and recreation for people in the forest. For Elmer Fudd. Uh, Elmer Fudd, yes. Let's talk about the uh, university's School of Forest Resources, its mission, obviously, um, you know, research and edu educating the next generation, and how maybe it fits into the big picture uh, nationally for, for this uh, industry and this discipline. The School of Forest Resources, uh, we have uh, multiple majors in, in uh, about 250 undergraduate and graduate students uh, working in, in these areas. And our mission is, is educating those students. It, it's doing the research that allows you know, innovation to come in and, and doing things smarter and better. But also a big part of our mission is public service and interacting with the people, interacting with landowners um, to get that information out and allow them to, to one, for us to learn on what's important, what do we need to spend more time teaching our students about and, and learning uh, that's important, and, and, and to provide them with more tools so that they can better uh, manage the forest, uh, understand the forest um, that's going to be of importance in adding value to the people of Maine, um, but also the United States and the world. We are part of that whole world. Clearly, the School of Forest Resources is the dominant program in, in New England and in the Northeast. Um, there are a lot of stellar programs, you know, globally in forestry, because forestry is a global, a global discipline, if you will. Um, but we have a very strong, our students are in high demand. Our students uh, work um, within the state, but they go all over the U.S., and some of them end up going international, uh, depending on their interests. Trees grow all over the world. Just to bring that point home, I believe a UMaine grad is the head of forestry in Iceland. Is that correct? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's the, um, yeah, he's the head forestry. Or didn't even know there were trees in Iceland, but uh, there must be. Yes. Yes, I, I haven't been there myself, but... Uh, uh, clearly they are. Yeah. Are the career choices in the fields that 
graduates can go into. Is that expanding, evolving, changing pretty drastically or no? The the career options for students uh, are have changed and evolved. Uh, we, we talked about technology earlier, and, and so we've got many examples of our students that have their what we call geospatial skills, the remote sensing and the um, GIS skills that are in demand in, in, in a, a lot of um, disciplines, whether it's even in town planning, uh, surveying, uh, land management. Uh, we've got one of our PhD students. Uh, he just is involved with a startup company in San Francisco uh, using big data techniques and, and LIDAR. So it's, um, it, it, it's pretty broad. And, and our students, and one of the things I think here's an advantage or a characteristic of, of the students that come through here is that when you're dealing with growing trees and understanding a forest, right, that takes a long time. You know, 60, 100 years, I mean, you're, you're thinking in that long term. And so that's a real advantage out in the marketplace or the, the job market is they can hire somebody and they're not just thinking about what is it now. They're trained to think what is it going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. That's just part of the, you know, part of the way you approach things. And that has values and value uh, for the students and the employers of our students. So let's, let's, let's look into the future. When you look out five to 10 years or maybe the longer timeline that you talked about, what does the future look like for Maine's forests, for jobs, for um, uh, the role it plays in the state, uh, for the school? I mean, are you, are you optimistic? Are you bullish about the future? And what do you think is going to be some big changes or trends we see coming in, into, into focus here? Yeah, I'm very bullish about the, the forests of the, the state of Maine uh, and the, the, the opportunities for, for our students uh, and uh, the role of the forest to the, the people of, of the state. Uh, with with the recent governor's uh, plan on being climate or carbon neutral by 2045, um, the role of the forest to, to meet that uh, while also providing um, society, there's going to be more people. And people need to live. And they need places to live. And they need... Uh, furniture they need and, and those things come from the forest and a sustainably managed forest that is sequestering carbon while still creating those products for people and yet at the same time is a, a place to recreate and is a place to clean water and, and to do all you can't design a factory like that I mean it's 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 spectacular on what the forests do and 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 the recognition of the role of of the importance of forests to society as a whole is just accelerating. Um, the, the concerns about deforestation in the tropics, uh, which are, are very valid in those impacts. We have more trees and more forest land here in New England than we did 100 years ago. Be um, so we're actually in, a, in a, a more sustainable and responsible place to provide for society um, than in some other parts of the world. So I'm I'm very bullish on the future. The forests of this state are important to everybody and everything. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please think about subscribing to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Drop us a note if you have a question or comment at mainquestion at maine.edu. This is Ryan Lisnett. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question.